بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين Inshallah, we recite those words that Rasulullah encourages us to recite in the month of Ramadan. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-jannah wa a'udhu bika min al-nar. Alhamdulillah. Before I uh, touch on some of the verses that uh, were recited, I just wanted to share something with uh, the brothers. Last night we had a, we had a special guest, alhamdulillah. Um, he was one of the All Blacks uh, players who recited the Shahada at the hands of our Imam Qari Yusuf uh, just a day or two ago, alhamdulillah. So he was here last night. His name is uh, Rob Thompson. I don't know if any of the brothers know him. He's a young, in his 20s. And alhamdulillah, he was, uh, it is just amazing how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he wills to give hidayah to someone, the man travels 15,000 kilometers from New Zealand, and he comes to South Africa, and Allah opens his heart, and he is willing to say the shahada, and he has no problem with that. And he plays his matches while fasting, and he says he performs better. And sitting with him last night, um, he had just some questions about how to do the salah and how to do his ibadah. Uh, he said that uh, everything he looks at looks different. He says, since he said the shahada, he looks at a, at a mountain, he looks at a tree, he looks at anything, and it reminds him of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I told him that is because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa stated in the hadith that person who utters the shahada, then all his past is his past sins and his past life, whatever was in the state of disbelief, is pardoned, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purifies him as the way a baby is purified the day he is come, born in, in, into this world. So I said, from all the people in our congregation, you are the purest. Because those of us who are born Muslim, we also see those trees, we also see the bounties of Allah, we also see these things, but very few of us ponder and attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So alhamdulillah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him istiqama and steadfastness, inshaAllah. Uh, it was just something amazing to see that how independent Allah is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need any of us. If he wants to, he can give hidayah and open the person's heart without a lecture, without, you know, uh, a long talk. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just opens the, the heart of a person towards uh, that which is uh, what we call hidayah and guidance. Alhamdulillah, in uh, Surah Yusuf, uh, there, like I said yesterday, there are so many lessons. Uh, one was discussed before, Salatul Isha about the aspect of hasad and jealousy. Another topic which is highlighted in the surah is what had occurred between Sayyidina Yusuf salam and the attempts of the wife of the minister to seduce him and indulge in haram with him. But because he is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, this is how Allah protects his special and pure servants. Allah protected him from the traps of this particular lady. On this uh, point, it's important for us to know that anything related to the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is important as an integral part of our iman to know that they are pure from any type of blemish, any type of defect, any type of, of sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected them, especially after their prophethood, from any type of, of disobedience. The reason being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed us to follow his prophets. And it would not be 
logical that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs mankind to follow certain individuals who potentially can disobey Allah, which means Allah is telling you, you can follow this person, although he can disobey, then how would the, the follower distinguish between what is obedience and disobedience? So there are many times where we come across some stories, this is why the ulama tell us that those stories transmitted by the Bani Israel, which are not uh, authenticated in the hadith, they need to be verified and ensure, we need to ensure that before quoting them or, or speaking about them, we do not attribute them to the Anbiya without verifying whether it is authentic or not. There is a similar incident like in a few, a few Jews uh, ago uh, of Ibrahim salam. Ibrahim salam is having a discussion uh, with his nation and he's trying to convince them about worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا جَنَّ عَلَيْهِ اللَّيْلُ رَأَى كَوْكَبًا When uh, it was nightfall, they all witnessed, the, he saw the stars. So the words in the Qur'an are, Now if a person merely takes the translation of the Qur'an and he sees, قَالَ قَالَ means he said, هَذَا means this, Rabbi means my Lord. That Ibrahim alayhi salam is saying that the stars are his Lord. Now that is a, state, a statement of, of disbelief. So the ulama explained this particular verse. It needs to be understood in context. When a person understands what's the, the, the context that he is speaking to his people, they say this is istinkar. Uh, he is making the statement as uh, he's trying to express his disappointment and how uh, he is uh, disappointed in them being unable to get his point. For example, somebody comes into the masjid and they say, um, Maulana, you stole my shoes. So I say, really, I stole your shoes. So he says, there you see, Maulana just confessed. He said, I stole your shoes. So you need to understand the context in which the statement is made. Rather than saying, oh, Ibrahim salam said the stars were his Lord. Then the next verse says he said the moon is his Lord. And then the next verse says that he said the sun is his Lord. All this would be attributing an incorrect statement to the Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like this, there are many stories. Sometimes people, in their enthusiasm to express their love to the Anbiya alayhi salam, they mention such things which are inappropriate. There's a story of Sayyidina Ayyub alayhi salam. He was tested by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sickness and that is well known. However, some people go to the extent to exaggerate and they say he was affected with a type of sickness that uh, worms were emanating from his, from his body and once a worm fell off, you know, from his body and he picked it up and he said, Kuli this is your sustenance that Allah has sent for you. So this is impermissible to, to transmit and narrate. Why? Because taking a worm and placing it on your body to eat is causing harm to yourself. And either unnafs causing harm to yourself or anybody else is haram in any sharia. Any of the Anbiya would not be allowed and they would not advocate that a person causes harm to himself or to someone else. And this is why it's so important for us to understand in Islam that it's impermissible to cause harm. Suicide is impermissible. Whether it be out of distress or a person's depression or whether it be with the intention of causing harm to other people. All these types of suicide have no way uh, found, uh, have no place in, in the sharia of, of Islam and this is something which we need to keep in mind so the anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept them pure in fact even what we hear of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam um, some, some of us say that you know he had a stutter now, in the hadith, there is mention of the fact that when Fir'aun wanted to test and see if he was really that child that the, the soothsayers and fortune tellers told him would overtake his, his throne, he tried to test Musa alayhi salam and he placed some sweet 
and, and some charcoal on, on, on the other side. And uh, Sayyidina Musa salam's hand was going towards the sweet, and Jibreel salam to protect Musa salam, he pushed his hand towards the coal and he touched his mouth, which resulted in his tongue being affected. But how was it affected? The ulama say, Musa salam was slow in his speech. He was unable to speak fast. It was not what we call a stutter or a stammer to the extent where people would ridicule the Nabi of Allah. Because Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, every Nabi is sent in his nation, always the most eloquent and the most beautiful. And he's got the most beautiful voice in his nation. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the same. So Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, he was bati'ul kalam. He used to speak slowly. And this is why he made the dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless his brother with prophethood because huwa afsahu minni lisanan. He has more eloquence and he is more swift in responding to the arguments and the debates presented by the Fir'aun and his ministers. So Harun alayhi salam was supporting Musa alayhi salam. It was not that Musa alayhi salam had a stutter, what in Arabic is called a tam-tam, a person who stutters on the letter T. So he says because if, uh, people who uh, are exposed to that, if it's a person on, on the public platform and he starts speaking like that, generally the people in the audience would either start, you know, uh, shrugging their shoulders or saying, I mean, look how this person is speaking. And that goes against the, the purpose for which the Nabi is sent. So yes, Musa alayhi salam, his speech was affected, but not to the extent that it ridiculed him or made him small or insignificant in the eyes of the people to whom he was sent. This is an important point to keep in mind. <clears throat> Amongst the verses yeah, in Surah Yusuf, uh, the, uh, towards the end where, where Yusuf alayhi salam, he now exposes himself to his brothers after the wrong that they had done. And uh, they tell him that our father Yaqub alayhi salam has become blind due to excessive weeping and crying in separation from you. So he says to them, take my shirt to, to Yaqub alayhi salam. This in the terminology of Sharia is called Tabarruq bi'athari salihin To take blessings from the effects of the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam and those who, who did, who are amongst the pious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servants. So, barakah is created by Allah. Barakah means Allah puts special blessings in there and people can, can turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they can benefit from, from what, is, what is in that particular thing. Like I mentioned previously, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in Hajjatul Wada'a he had all his hair shaved. And he told Sayyidina Abu Talha radiallahu anh, that distribute the hair amongst the Sahaba. So obviously the hair was not distributed for consumption. Nobody consumes, nobody eats hair. What was the purpose of giving the hair out to the Sahaba? It's called tabarruk, that they keep it for barakah. It's, 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 it's something sentimental which reminds him of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa something which is attached to the blessed body of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his blessings, the ulama say, and I will just, I'm diverting it, but I'll, I need to mention this point, that uh, amongst the, 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 the points of wisdom of the hijrah of Rasulullah, when he migrated from, from Mecca to, to Medina, the ulama say one of the points of hikmah that the muhaddithin have mentioned is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended to show the rank of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because had he remained in Mecca, people would have said thereafter that Mecca was a haram uh, made for Ibrahim alayhi salam and they wouldn't notice the status of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So when he migrated to Medina Munawwara, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made Medina Munawwara also a haram 
and sanctified it in honor of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So independently of Makkah Mukarramah, like Makkah was made a haram for Rasul for Sayyidina Ibrahim, Medina Munawwara was made a haram for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then that place where Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam spent most of his time, his Mubarak Masjid. Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam says a person who performs one salah in my masjid gets one thousand rewards, more than salah any other place. In Masjid al Haram is a hundred thousand. In some narrations, the salah in the Masjid of Rasulullah is fifty thousand. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And the place where Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam walked the most, so where the 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 mihrab, the place of salah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was, and his house. That area is called Rodatul Jannah, Riyadul Jannah. We call it. That was the place frequented the most. So where he walked became the Garden of Jannah. And this is why the ulama say when we go to Medina Munawwara, may Allah take all of us over and over again. When we go to Medina Munawwara, then just imagine that the space you are walking in is that space in which Rasulullah sallallahu also walked. He placed his blessed feet on on the ground, which might be beneath the marble. But the effect of his feet is still there. Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, there was a person in his nation called Samiri. And in the 16th Jews, we might touch on it again, inshallah. So he uh, was a person who caused the deviation of the Bani Israel. But his story was very strange because in his infancy, he, he, was, he was alone. His mother perished and she died and he was left alone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam to sustain him and to keep him alive. So in the, at the time when Musa salam was crossing the ocean, the sea with the with Bani Israel, he was able to see Jibreel salam because in his infancy he was sustained and taken care of by Jibreel salam, And he was the one who collected the sand from the hooves of the horse of Jibreel salam, and he used that to cause deviation and make the calf which caused the Bani Israel to go astray. So he could see the effects of the hooves of the horse of Jibreel alayhi salam. So the ulama say, who is superior? Jibreel alayhi salam or his horse? Obviously Jibreel alayhi salam. And then who is superior? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi salam or Jibreel alayhi salam? Obviously Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi salam. So the ulama say that if the place where the hooves of the horse of Jibreel alayhi salam touched, it resulted in signs of life. And this is what Samiri saw, that he took that sand and used it afterwards, although he used it for the wrong reason. If there's effect and barakah in the hooves of the horse of Jibreel alayhi salam, how much effect would there be in that land upon which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi placed his blessed feet? How many hearts would become alive when you go to that place? So this is the haram of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is what we call barakah. We're not saying that Nabi sallallahu alayhi created it. We're not saying that uh, Yusuf alayhi salam created barakah in his shirt. No. But he knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who puts good effects in the things which belong to Anbiya alayhi salatu wasalam. Even in an authentic hadith, Sayyidina Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhuma, in Bukhari Sharif is mentioned, that after salah he would go to the rummanu minbari rasulillah. He would go to the minbar of the pulpit of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi It had like a, like a pomegranate shaped uh, place where Nabi sallallahu alayhi would place his blessed hand. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu anhu, who was the Sahabi known for emulating the Sunnah to the minutest detail, he would rub his hands on that part and wipe it on his face. Out of love for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So here, yeah, Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam sends his shirt and he sends it to his father and Allah subhanahu wa taala. Allah is the one who gave shifa. Allah gives the, the shifa, but the 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 
The barakah which is attached to things is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates with his special servants. So this is also something important for us to, to remember. And I mentioned about Sayyidina Khalid radiallahu anhu kept the hair of Rasulullah sallallahu in his in his helmet. And the other famous verse which was recited was قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِ أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ Say to them that this is my way I invite towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ala basiratin with full insight and conviction أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي This is a lesson for those who invite to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We have to be as the followers of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Those who invite but it should be with conviction And, and the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam أُدْعُوا إِلَى سَبِيلِ رَبِّكَ بِالْحِكْمَةِ With wisdom and with tact when you speak to somebody, the ulama say, Man amara bil ma'roof, falyakun amruhu bi ma'roof. That person who instructs goodness, then his method of, of instructing that good should also be good. Because to convey, to, to instruct goodness in a bad way is not good. So to say something good in a good way is what is required. And the opposite is not, not required. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wa subhanallahi wa ma ana min al-mushrikeen. And uh, the, the last verse which we will discuss uh, tonight is the verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, uh, in, instructs us or informs us of the value of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alladina amanu, those people who have iman, wa tatma'innu quloobuhum bi dhikrillah. Their hearts become satisfied and at ease with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ala bi dhikrillahi tatma'innu quloob. Remember that only through the remembrance of Allah, whether it be with your tongue or whether it be with your mind and concentration of your consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is what will give peace and contentment to the heart. There is nothing in this dunya that can give a person contentment. The things of this dunya, what belongs to us of this world, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, the clothing that you wear or that you have worn, that is yours. Or the house in which you stay, that might be yours now while you are living in it. That which you have consumed and you have used up in the past, that is yours. But whatever else is around you belongs to the heirs, belongs to the family members. So we need to understand that the life of this dunya is a temporary life. We take from it what is, what is necessary, but our ultimate preparation is for the akhirah. So with using this dunya, there is dhikr. And the best way to remain in, engaged in dhikr is to learn the sunnah dua of Rasulullah sallallahu for various occasions. The sunnah dua before eating, the, the dua after eating, the dua before entering the toilet. And the benefit of this is the amount of time you spend in that particular action, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the reward of the remembrance of Allah. So if you recite the dua before you go to bed and you sleep, then for that four or five or six hours, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessing us with the reward of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if a person performs wudu before he goes to sleep, then throughout the night his, his ruh, is placed beneath the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a person has a special connection with the malaika, angelic qualities can develop within him because of this one practice, insha'Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.